Welcome to the new and improved Configure It Done podcast. The Configure It Done podcast is now a place where we interview senior thought leaders in the SAP space across Australia and New Zealand, and the aim is to tap into their knowledge so we can pass on their insights to the listening SAP community. Please subscribe to the podcast and like, share and comment across Castos, YouTube, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. This podcast is in partnership with the Black Dog Institute, who aim to create a mentally healthier world for everyone. If you wish to donate to the cause, please click the link below. With my colleague, um, Bethany. How are you, Bethany? I'm well, how are you? I'm good. I'm good, thank you. And um, Bethany's um, brought along an amazing guest uh, today, Tafadzwa. Uh, lovely to meet you. Nice to meet you both. Thank you. Excellent. So, um, the way we kick off these um, podcasts, these configuring on podcasts, Fatswa, is um, I'm going to hand you over to Bethany. She's going to run through um, some quick fire questions just so the audience can get to know a bit more um, about you. And then we're going to uh, go into a bit about your career and, and learn about your leadership um, experience within the SAP space. But um, over to you, Bethany. And um, I'll set the timer. We've got uh, two minutes. Maybe you uh, do some quick fire questions. Perfect. We'll try to be quick. Now, I've known you for years to Fadzo, but I have a feeling there's going to be some nuggets of information that I did not know with these. So what's your full name? Um, my full name is Devi Tafadzwa Masamba. Okay, there you go. So I didn't know that one. And what's your nickname? Uh, my nickname depends. When I was young, my nickname was Taffy. But then when I came to New Zealand, it became Tafs. That's cute. And where were you from originally? Um, I'm originally from Zimbabwe, a country in the Southern Africa, in Southern Africa. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. And how long have you been in Australia? I've been in Australia for 15 and a half years. And prior to that, I was in New Zealand for eight years. Amazing. I think you moved here just a bit before me, actually. Um, and where are you currently working? Um, I work for Lactalas Australia, which is a company that produces daily products. Yes. And what's your favorite music or film? You can pick either. Um, okay. My favorite probably movie is The Power of One. And I'm not sure whether you've watched it. In that film, we see how one person can actually be the symbol of hope in a community. And that, I relate to that quite well, yeah. Beautiful. And favorite restaurant, if you had to choose? Um, I I enjoy most foods, but I think in my previous life, I was Chinese or Asian. <laughs> I would pick. <laughs> so any Japanese, Chinese restaurant would do for me. Love that. And um, I'll just do a couple more. Favorite destination? I would have to say, well, I think yeah, someone who is in a foreign country, there's that affinity to always go and visit home. But besides Zimbabwe, I would love to go and visit Italy. I've been there before and the, the country is amazing. The architecture, absolutely stunning. Yeah, so I would want to visit Italy again. 100%. And last one, what's a fun fact about yourself that we might not know? Well, I always say to people, I'm a double, 
and the software twin sister and the, we've done lots of funny things together no yeah, that's are- him I it's a real life. to be me. <laughs> <laughs> and there's this kind of like psychic twin connection happening. Like all the stereotypes are pretty well true, aren't they? Absolutely. Absolutely. So many things. And I think actually the other day I said to my partner, I don't know because I used to have the, a big problem. Ah. And my sister got an operation. And since she got the operation, I don't feel the pain anymore. So I said, oh, I wonder. It's like mental <laughs> It reminds me a bit, Jay, of like, if you look at quantum theory and how nothing in there makes sense at all, and yet apparently it's real, like there's just, there's certain things that just don't make sense, but they're true. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, is, uh, that is weird. Bizarre. Um, but so, yeah, I was, um, yeah, um, I was, um, I was interested. You work for, for Lactalis, um, uh, at the moment, uh, to what, what's your, um, what's your role? What, what do you, what do you do within there? For Lactalis, I'm the applications manager, so I'm responsible for looking after all the applications we have that runs the operations for the business to make sure all those applications are up and running and we support the business day on day to day operations. Excellent. No problem. And um, yeah, Bethany was telling me before, so you moved here. Um, from from Zimbabwe to to New Zealand, I believe, um, back in uh, yeah, back in two thousand, was that right? Yes, it is. That's correct. Um, and obviously, you've built built a brilliant brilliant career from uh, from scratch into the role you've got now at uh, at Lactalis. But can you talk us through um, how you built your career and into what it is today? Um. Okay. So for me, I say the probably to tell my story, sort of to probably go a little bit into my background. So growing up in Zimbabwe and coming from the rural area, there weren't that many opportunities. And so we went to schools back then in Zimbabwe. They had group A and group B because we had segregation. It was a country that was colonized by Europe and you had segregation. So you had B schools were for black people, which is where I went. Not so many facilities or tools that was actually conducive to an education. However, I think we've been always been driven. So when we did our O levels, I went and studied further into advanced level and did math, physics and chemistry. And we worked so hard. We knew the situation that we were in and we wanted a way out. So with that, we did the advanced level, which give you an entry to go into university. And usually during the holidays, we would go and visit my mom in the country and come back to the city for school. When we came to collect our results, the headmaster told us that the Canadian international agents had been to the school. They were going around the schools looking for the students who had done well in their results and they picked my sister in the eye to go to play. Yes, they did. Well, my sister, my sister did better than I, so. <laughs> I'll actually remind you of that. <laughs> yeah. So they picked the both of us and we got a scholarship to go to Canada to study engineering. Amazing. That was life changing. So from there, honestly, We'd, we'd never been to the city center of Harani, and then to 
to look at it. Now we are going to a different country. That was a, a, a culture shock, but we, we, we took it in the stride. We went to in Canada and ended up in Hamilton, where I studied computer engineering. Uh-huh. So on completion, we decided to go home. We could have stayed in Canada, but we always wanted to go home and see whether we could make a change because the, I think the Canadian government had given us that opportunity to then come back home and contribute to our own community. Mm-hmm. So we went back home in 1995 and got my first job as a programmer. He worked for a bank, supporting banking systems. I that one last. Which, which area of programming was that? Oh my God, it was COBOL. I don't know whether you know COBOL programming. It's, 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 I think very few companies even use it now. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I stayed there for two years. After that, I moved on to PricewaterhouseCoopers as a, a junior consultant. Uh, and that was in their systems imp- implementation department. Uh, and so I worked there for two years. And my sister got a scholarship again to go and study a master's in New Zealand. Uh, and for me, I was just looking at it. Working in Zimbabwe then, it very tricky in a sense where I think you, you sort of felt like you didn't have opportunity, although you are actually in a country where it's mainly black people, but you, you realize it, your opportunities were limited mm-hmm. and there was some information that we got to know more about as you worked there, that they actually had different salary scales for black people and white people. And this is 1995. Wow. It, Not even that long ago. Uh, yeah. So I think it's a, a young person then, I just sort of felt like you're being discriminated in your own country. Do you think there's change yeah. now to that Yeah, I think so. I think so, definitely. I think because now I think you've got black people probably controlling some of the economic, some of the economic sections of the country. But then at, this, at the moment, Zimbabwe is going even worse than what it was then. So, yeah, so... In that situation, I looked at it and I had talked to the partners in that company that was Price Ross Coupons. Yeah. And I then made a choice to say, I made the choice to go overseas. I don't know, as a young person, I had been to Canada. I had not faced discrimination at that level from Canada, from a foreign country. So we, I felt acceptance more from a foreign country so that me I made that decision to go to New Zealand where my sister was mm-hmm. uh, and in New Zealand got my first job supporting a company that had about 40 people mm-hmm. but from all my previous jobs I'd always worked for a company that was big so I wanted to look for a, a large organization where I had opportunities and uh, I got an opportunity to work for Catapult Harvey. Back then, it was really a huge company that was part of international paper. Yeah. And uh, 
with the that it gave me my first opportunity to work in SAP. So, oh, so that's where you started your SAP career. That's when I started my SAP career. That was around so, 2001, yeah. So, and then you've been working your way up since then, obviously, because, so what What brought you to Australia after that? Well, okay, probably a boy. Okay. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I didn't know that. So... I met my partner in New Zealand. He's a he's a Kiwi, but his his dad is from Australia. So the family moved to Australia and for him he wanted to be with his family. So that's what made me come to Australia. Yeah. So basically you were you're originally in this position where it was you had to work really, really hard in order to to make a name for yourself. Basically, you did that. You got a scholarship, moved to Canada, and then instead of going back to Zimbabwe, you decided to follow your sister to New Zealand, and then fell into SAP eventually after working really hard to get there. And then he moved to Australia. Yeah, that's correct. So, out of curiosity, to Fad as well, what, what's your sister doing now? Um, my sister is actually the operations manager for. Abodo, a company in New Zealand that produces sustainable wood for building. Cool. All right. Okay. Very cool. So one of um one of the reasons I wanted to have you on this podcast actually was I remember last year we were talking about kind of overall life purpose and having this really deep conversation because we're in the middle of lockdowns at that stage and life just seemed. I think we've seen the great resignation happen since then because everybody had this chance to think really deeply about their overall purpose and what they want to do in life. And then we spoke again earlier this year and you were saying you'd kind of found this really beautiful way to weave your overall purpose into your career in SAP, which I loved. Um, so how would you define your purpose in relation to your role? Um, I think probably for me, first of all, I love my work <laughs> and it my work at Lactalis is probably weaved into the goals and the mission that we have for our organization. So Lactalis Australia, our mission is to produce nutritional food for the Australian people. So in, in an effort to ensure that our product gets to reach the Australian families, we need systems, we need processes, and we need to make sure we get those products to people as efficient as possible. And in trying to do that, there are challenges where in supply chain, or is it supply chain challenges? Is it issues to do with systems? For me, it's ensuring that on a day-to-day basis, you're coming in, you are making a difference in the people that you are interacting with. At the end of the day, I think when you ask anyone or everyone what their main purpose in life is to probably inject a positive energy into the people around you. So as you interact with people, as you come to work, as people contact you, you want to make sure you have a, a positive impact on whatever conversation or topic you're discussing, whether it's an issue at work, in our position, in our position for me as an applications manager is to ensure that our stakeholders are satisfied with the work. We are supporting them 
in our people as well, which is the people that reports to me we interact with, it's making sure we create an environment that fosters that growth in you within people. And we want to make sure when those people come to work, they are looking forward to spending their time at work. So it's creating an environment that fosters relationships, that fosters growth for them, so that at the end of the day, when they leave the company to go back to their families, they are happy that they work for Lactanus. Mm-hmm. And when they are having conversation at a barbecue, they will say to their friend, they want to work for Lactanus because mm-hmm. we are here for a purpose to support them and to ensure that we've got a positive impact on their day-to-day lives. It reminds me a lot of this quote from Jay Shetty that I heard last year, and it just it bounces through my mind every time I speak to somebody, which is you should leave the people that you interact with feeling either the same or better than before they had the interaction with you. And if you're not doing that, like, w- what is the point, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And I always say to my son, I say, whatever you're going to say to somebody, is it going to be positive? Is it going to make they, them feel better? If it's not, then what's the point? So it's really looking at it and saying, even in some situation where it might be negative, the interaction you have with people has to have a positive outcome at the end, even mm-hmm. though the situation might start from a negative not. Yeah, aiming for excellence basically everywhere. So yeah, you, you go, Jay. Yeah, I was, I was just going to say, our, our boss Simon has a very um, similar leadership trait where um, he's just got this energy and he, he wants to install it into his um, his team, um, like exactly what you were saying there. And to Fadzwa, have you got any um, examples for any other listening um, leaders? Like how how do you go about ejecting energy into your into your team, or any examples of a positive interaction that you've had where you've turned a negative into a um, a positive? Have you got any any examples of um, the yeah, other leaders can learn from you? I think I'll give you an example of myself, a situation that I was in, and. <laughs> That gave me an example of how to probably develop my own leadership. Okay, okay so in my role at Lactalis, I was already a team lead then. I was working long hours. I was based in Western Australia. Uh-huh. And, okay, I made a mistake. <laughs> A really big, big mistake, and I think probably that's the biggest mistake in my career. And uh, as I was contemplating it, I said, actually, okay, I'm okay even if I were to lose my job over it. Okay? However, my manager sort of understood the pressure that I was under, and he was based in Brisbane then. He flew down to Western Australia for him to be with me and just to make sure that I was okay. So so for me, that was leadership to the next level because he didn't have to. But they made sure, I think they knew that that mistake was made only because it was a lot of pressure and they knew it was the intent and the, the outcome was not good but the intention was good so 
and that just tells you to say it's supporting your people when they are down, knowing that you you know the value that your people deliver. You know people are assets to an organization, and one mistake doesn't change the person. So it's it's that sort of leadership that I try to to follow as well to say I think it's supporting your people. And it's almost like being that servant leader where you are there to save your people. And in the end, they're so willing to give their time for you to get the outcomes that you want as an organization or as a department and as people. Yeah, I love that. Especially that intention piece. It is all about the intention. I remember when we interviewed um, Amanda Oakenfell from uh, from IBM and uh, she was saying that no one goes to work to burn down the building. Like no one's got that intention. Um, you know, everyone's got not everyone, but the, the majority of people that you do come interaction with, they've got they've got that intention. As long as that's there, you can you can work with that. And mistakes happen. Mistakes happen. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's brilliant. Um, I want to concentrate a bit more about on the uh, the purpose. Um, I, I loved your um your, your your life's purpose with your job um earlier on. Um. But what advice would you give to others when it comes to finding purpose in in their work? I think it's almost looking at it and say, find something that you love. And I think we get more when we give. So if for you, you find something that you love, something you are good at, and you then give back whatever, if it's to the community or if it's to the people that you work with, I think that brings more satisfaction and more purpose than anything that you are receiving. So it's really help others develop, help others grow in their career. And for me, I always look at it and I say, for the people that we hire, the people that we get within Lactalas, you want to make sure they grow and leave the organization better than when you get them because you are developing people. And the more you support people, the more you develop, then it's good for your organization and it's good for themselves as well growing in their career. So I look at it and say, always look at building others and always look at enhancing other people's life, other people's career, and things will come back to you. Absolutely. Good things will come back to you, yeah. I think it's easy to to kind of get, to, to feel like you're just falling into a loop and a cycle with your role, especially if it's very IT focused and kind of lose sight of the overall purpose of it. But if you can look at what you're really good at in life, you know, kind of what hobbies do I have and what really... Um, you know, what really lights a fire inside of me and then uh, make sure that you pick a career that's associated with that and then kind of look at what you enjoy day to day. Like for me, I enjoy people interactions. I enjoy making people's lives a little bit better. So finding work for people is very exciting for me. I enjoy communication and, you know, coffee. So if you look at the things that you, that you really enjoy day to day, and then you can weave it into your overall career, I think it's a lot easier to feel like you have a purpose-led life than just I'm going to go be an ABAP programmer and that's all I do. It's like, no, there's so much more to it if you think deeply enough about it. Absolutely. And it's looking at it because if we look at it and say for an ABAP person, really probably writing code is not going to give you that life purpose. Yes, you get outcomes, but it's really the interactions you're having with people 
you're solving people's problems. So don't look at it as writing code. It's writing code to solve people's problems, to meet or to bridge a gap that was there. So we always look at the outcome that you're getting instead of the action that you're doing, because sometimes that action might look purposeless, but the results or the impact it has is huge. And I look at it even sometimes when you're having discussions with the business, the conversations that we have with them, they walk away and come back and say, thank you for that. But it wasn't actually, you haven't done something that you think is big, but because you were the person who was bridging between that knowledge gap that they had, you had two people in a meeting, but because you were there, they managed to understand each other. So it's really those things that you weave into your everyday work that then gives you that purpose because you are helping create outcomes that are positive and have impact on people. 100%. I think there's um there's also something to be said of excellence because I can see that that's a big part of your story. You had to achieve excellence every step of the way in order to get to the place that you're at. You know, it wasn't handed to you. You didn't have your university fees paid for. You weren't born into an area where it was easy to achieve. You had to really, really work. And I think because you've learned to attain excellence, that's made finding purpose when, within your career um, almost easier to find in a way because the harder you work, the more satisfaction you get out of your career. And I see that a lot with the really good SAP consultants. If I bring it back to SAP, like there's data migration consultants where you call them and they say, yes, I do this. I've done these projects done. And there's one lady that I know where when I ask her about data, she goes, I love to get into the data. I find it so interesting. I love to fix where it's broken and I love to resolve all the processes. And she constantly studies and upskills herself. So by applying excellence to every little step of her career, She's become amazing. Like she's, you know, she's a gun. And that means that she can solve issues for others so much easier because she's attained that level of excellence. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you can see it in, for me, you sort of get a different satisfaction as a manager, as a leader, and as a person who is hands-on. And for a long time for me, that hands-on brings so much satisfaction, drive. To, to make sure you achieve that top level excellence that you need for your choice of career, whatever it is, the drive to make sure you've got outcomes. Absolutely, if you've got, you've got challenges where you don't have solutions, you are working hard late nights. I've, I've worked in situations where it's 3 a.m., I'm waking up, I'm going in and saying, Okay, there's the solution. So it's really that drive for excellence when you need to get outcomes for your people, for your organization, and you know at the end of it, when you have achieved it, you have solved a lot of people's problems. So definitely that hard work for me, that work ethic that says, uh, I'm going to work for it. I'm going to research for it. I'm going to try to get answers when everybody else might have given up. That's what it leads to people achieving that excellence, that determination to just go the extra step. That's servant leadership, by the way, Jay, you're very good at. I had a situation a few months ago where my youngest daughter was in hospital for a couple of days and I just was 
overwhelmed and Jay just instantly kind of stepped in and took care of everything that needed to be done without me having to give it a second thought. I did not give a very good handover because I was, you know, a mess and he just, just resolved everything that needed to be done. And I'm sure worked extra in order to do that. And that's, that's servant leadership, 100%. Exactly. Yeah. Family first has to be done. Um, but um, love to know uh, to fact as well. Who's who's been your biggest inspiration in your in your career? I think I think okay. So we have always tried to come up with a name, but uh, for me, I always go back to my mother. And uh, I think you you kind of have to understand my mom in the kind of lady she is. I'll I'll tell you something that you probably you didn't know, Bethany. My mom had twelve children. Oh. What a woman. <laughs> yeah, <we're> tired. <laughs> and uh, my sister and I are the last ones. I bet she wasn't expecting to. <laughs> no. She, uh, I think she died because she had another set of twins already. So this is the second set of twins. That she... <laughs> Twelve children. <laughs> yes. That's amazing. <laughs> and, and most of the time my dad was away working. She raised those 12 children on her own. And this this is really like probably for Africa back then, women were not going to school. So you look at it, and my mom never went to school. She never had an opportunity, and she had a father who had seven wives. So, hmm. so she <laughs> she she came from a very hard background, a diversity and the challenges, but. She she sort of built this resilience within her, and that resilience, that work, working hard, perseverance, sort of she tried to make sure she transferred that to her kids. And I always think, okay, if my mom had been given the opportunity to grow in an environment like that I've been privileged to live in, she would have been a completely different achievements would have been out there so and so that's that's my inspiration my mother you grew up in a situation where it would have been easy to be very traumatized like there was a lot of difficulty there and and kind of keeping hold of your sense of self would have been very very hard so having a mother figure that could instill that that confidence in you is probably a, a not a lifesaver, but it changed your life in a huge way. If she hadn't done what she did, then you probably wouldn't be, you know, here in the current situation that you're in. Absolutely. Love that. You, you look at it for her coming from a background where she didn't have any education, but she got to a point where she realized the education was very important for her and for Africans, okay? Cows, goats are very important, you know that? <laughs> And so they'll try to hold on to that cow, to that goat, because that's the symbol of wealth in the village where we came from. But my mom didn't think twice about selling, selling them to send us to school. A lot of life experience there. Um, yeah, especially with your, your mama, that's unbelievable. Um, but what, what advice would you give to your 21-year-old self to Fadzo? Well, the 21-year-old Fadzo, I think there's a lot that she could learn from this maybe more mature worldwide worldwide. <laughs> I think for a long time growing up, you sort of well, tried to fit into this mold that everybody tries to project. But then 
knowing where I am today, I would probably tell her to just be yourself. Be your authentic self. I think he, he, she could have gone a long way if she learned to trust herself and actually go and just enjoy the moment sometime. I think we, as a young person, we, and okay, my sister and I, we were so driven on getting outcomes such that we actually didn't get to enjoy the moment. So yeah, I'll tell her to just maybe enjoy some of those things. Love that. If you could see anyone on the podcast, who do you think you would name? So I've got one of my colleagues, Chain Lee, and she's from Malaysia. And I think she has done so well for herself. Coming from Malaysia, she's one of my team leads. And I think it will be interesting to see what she has and what she has to say. So yeah, I would choose Cheng, Cheng Tan. Excellent. But, I'll leave that with you, Bethany, to, to reach out uh, to her. It'd be great to have her on the, uh, the podcast. But just want to thank you, Tafazwa, for your for your time today. That was brilliant to delve into your background and how you how you're in Australia now at Lactanus. Um and um yeah, that's you know, it's crazy that story back in uh, Zimbabwe with your mother. That's um yeah, it's unbelievable. So uh, yeah, good on you and uh, thank you again for, for coming on the podcast. No worries, thank you so much, both. Thank you, Jane. Thank you, Bethany. Please like, share, comment and subscribe to the Configure It Done podcast.